First John 2, 7 through 17. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Casey. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Free City. And if you're with us for uh, the first time, we want you to feel really welcomed. Um, We're glad you found us. Uh, We're back in Central. That's good. Um, uh, Just while you guys were singing, or while we were singing, uh, man, I love, you know, the acoustics in here, uh, I I don't think they're actually good because they echo and they reverb and they come back. But man, hearing you guys sing did my heart a lot of good. Um, hearing you guys pray for the school did my heart a lot of good. Um, the Bible tells us there's something powerful uh, that when two people agree uh, that God is present, it says that he's there. And so even though we're reading that together, if, if our hearts align to say, God, this is a need, you do it, I think there's a powerful working in that. And so, I mean, I, I appreciate the direction of the service already. Um, and I hope we can continue with that. Um, you know, we, uh, Free City Church, we exist uh, to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the power of the gospel. And so there's so many times, like when we start with that, there's different things we want to highlight. But like when I, I, I always throw power in uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is a power that moves in you. And that's what this text is all about. I mean, I don't know if you notice that the text, what it does is it starts off and it's talking about this love of God that comes from God and it's talking about that it should flow through us and we should love our brothers and sisters. Like we should love one another, even the ones that irritate you. Like that, that's going to happen. I don't know if they'll still be irritating in heaven. I don't think so. Uh, the gospel doesn't always fix irritating, you know? I mean, it fixes a lot of things, um, but like that might be more your problem than anything else. But it basically says, this is what you should do. You should love this. And then at the end of it, after we have in verses 12 through 14, kind of this weird, like, kids are like this, and, you know, fathers are like this, and young men are like this, that are all talking about aspects of the faith. Then it says, love not the world. And so this passage is talking about misplaced, wrong loves. Love and love not. It's talking about your loves needing to be righted. And we all know this. Like we do live in kind of a Disney generation where like follow your heart. You know, I mean, your love will never fail you. And you know that's not true. You know that's not true. Like your loves will fail you. I, oh my goodness, when I was in high school, I mean it was a long time ago, but I loved, I love Taco Bell. Like, I'm not afraid to say it. 
I loved it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they put in it, but it is like happiness in like fried grease. And I loved it. I mean, and I would go and I would like line up tacos. Like I would get the cheapest thing on the menu so I could have multiple of them. And I would line the tacos up. And then I love mild sauce. I know you're like, oh, it's weak, man. You should get the, you know, you should get the hot sauce. No, you should not. Like that mild sauce on eggs, muy bien, y'all, muy bien. Uh, And so I love it. Now, listen, it is now a wrong love. And I know you think I'm singing some sort of Taylor Swift song. It is a wrong love. We used to have mad love. Now we have bad blood. It does things to me that is not, it's not okay. It's not okay. Your loves can lead you wrongly. Your loves can lead you wrongly. And so this is entering in, like, into an area that that actually is super vast. I mean, just look look down the text. Like, you see these opposite words in the text. We have light and we have dark. We have love and we have hate. And therefore, we have everything in between. And so what John is presenting is is very, like, all-encompassing. It's a lot to wrestle with, and yet we have to. Like John is warning me that there are things I should love, but I have no desire to take hold of them. And there are things that I should not love. And yet they present themselves with such desirous splendor. And they're hard to put down. He's describing a kind of love that is just a taking love. Like he's describing a perverse love that only sees itself. That only takes for its benefit. Have you not been the victim of such a love? Like, have you not been the victim of wondered if someone felt used? Have you ever wondered if someone would love you or if their love extended beyond your body, your social standing, the trinkets of your possession? I have, have you ever feared Someone might not love you if those things change. Have you ever wondered, like, that if their love is going to rescind and come back, if if the trinkets rust, or if you're pushed out of the social circle, or if your body fails to impress or perform? John is talking about misplaced dangerous, self-seeking, wrong love. But he also talks about this other giving love. He talks about a love that, that, that wells up, that wells up, gives and gives, and yet it's never lacking. Like, just look at the text for a second. Like, he, he looked things like this, a love that originated from the beginning. You see that in verse 13 and 14. Or, or look at verse 8, a love that has entered humanity like light enters into a dark room. Darkness flees. A a love that pushes back and makes your loves right. And it pushes back the darkness around you. Verse 8 and verse 17. A love that will grow when you exercise it in the present. When you just presume it to be trustworthy and true. It says it will grow. And so this love... That's only possible when Jesus, the Son of God, the true light of the world, who was made man and died in our place upon a Roman cross and was raised to life again. He says the secret of this love is this love has to enter in. John's describing the love of Jesus as a force, as a power that enters in. Just like a light entering into a dark room, forcing the darkness to scurry to the shadows, and the darkness itself fears the moving of the object that is shading it. He's saying the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Like he's talking in in some pretty extravagant ways. He's encouraging Christians to hope for change in them and around them. Like we should probably say that stronger. He's not encouraging. He's not saying hope for change. He's saying you can know that change has started both in you and around you. Like this is much to deal with. 
you know, there's a way of teaching this that just walks through the text and kind of explains it as it goes. And I happen to know this because I, I wrote that sermon and then I, I wrote another sermon. Like, it's always a really bad week um, for me when I write a sermon. I'm like, no, man, this is trash. And I, and, and it was, I, I think it was pretty good. Um, but then I, I kind of just rework it because I keep seeing the, the text differently. But it, it, it's a bad Sunday for you when I go ahead and like, oh, let's just preach both of them. And so I'm trying to do this for you. I'm just preaching one of them. And so we are going to look at this, not as much walking through the text, we're going to look at this of what is this promising and and so three headings there is a promise in this like the promise a conquering love that is available and can change everything an incredible promise but but there's a problem And, and so it also talks about this problem this persisting darkness around me and gripping hate in me but then it's going to talk about the solution and the solution is this the love of Jesus entering in. And so there's a problem. There's a promise. There's a solution. And we want to start with just the exciting part. We want to start with the promise. And so the promise, we're going to start in verse 8. You know, where the promise is this conquering love that can change everything. Like, look at what it says about these conquering loves. Like, if we just kind of look at verses 7 through 11, like, what you have is you have the diagnostic test of how can I know that God has started something in me, that I'm a Christian, and it says, by the way love flows out of you, by the way that you love your brother and your sister, by the way that you love people that you never thought you could have loved. Is that growing? And if we were just walking through the verses, we'd really hit that. But I'm just going to tell you that. You can go and look at that. You can evaluate your love. Like, is that something that's growing in me? Is it more now than it was a year ago? Am I more tolerable to people when they annoy me? Am I more gracious? Am I more open to forgive? And if the answer is no, then John's saying, look back at your faith. Now, if the answer is, yeah, I'm growing, the answer said, that is light in you. That is the love of Jesus in you that is growing out of you. But right here in verse 8, it's talking about this conquering love that pushes back darkness. Like, look at this. John is telling us that there is a love that does this in our world. It pushes darkness back. Look at verse 8. It says, Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This opens up a, a really familiar topic in both the Old and the New Testament that is also seen, that's often seen. Sometimes the language is different, but it's talked about in this present age and the age to come. And, and so, like, that's both in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament where it talks about there's a present age now that's usually described as darkness and hurt and pain and suffering. But there's an age to come that is different, that here is described as an age of light and love. A present age, an age to come. You know, the age to come all over Matthew 12, Mark 10, Luke 18, Ephesians 1, Hebrews 6. Like, the idea is common. But the New Testament, like I could go all kinds of Old Testament verses that talk about this coming age that's going to be altogether different. But the New Testament, it gives us further explanation. And it says this about this age to come. It says that the age to come came with Jesus. That Jesus was the dividing page turn that inaugurated the new age, a new ruling kingdom. It is done and here, but it is still establishing. And so right now, the struggle that you find in your life is that there's two ages that are overlapping one another. Christians, you have been delivered out of this present evil age. And have already begun to taste the power of the age to come. That is God making you the sort of person that you need to be for the full inauguration of the age to come. That is you growing in love for people that might annoy you or hurt you. That is you growing in forgiveness. You growing in a grace that can be open-handed and yet a firmness that can stand on a line. That is God giving you the height and depth to experience so much more in this life. It's not saying you won't experience brokenness or hurt or loss or sadness. It's saying your humanity will grow, that you can experience those things with the present joy that abides. 
there's a new kingdom. There's this present age and this age to come, and they're overlapping. Like the promise is there's a conquering love that pushes darkness back. What kind of darkness do you see in this world? You know, if we just wrestle with that, what kind of darkness? I would just ask this, like if you're not for sure about about Jesus, or you're kind of like, man, I can't believe we still talk about sin and all that kind of stuff. Or if you're kind of like, man, I, I can't believe that that's how you talk about these problems, a mystical love of Jesus entering in to realign you and to change the world. Like we need to focus on other solutions. Like, And I'm not saying that we don't do other solutions. Like the creativity that God is giving you is expressed in action and thought and, and deed. But I'm just saying, if you can identify that there is darkness in this world, what's your solution? It seems to be that the Bible's telling me that his solution is God entering humanity. I'm not talking about something simple. I'm talking about the second person, the Trinity, entering in to be a substitutionary atonement to give you all the rights to call up on your father. To give you the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to lead you in the moments of you don't know what to do. To give you the presence to be still when you shouldn't act and the strength to move when you should. I'm talking about courage and patience. I'm talking about things that are fruit of the Spirit that you can read about in the Scriptures. I'm talking about a movement and people that should then move and change institutions to reflect the kingdom of God. I'm talking about something that John says, there is darkness, but it is passing away because the true light has already shined in the person of Jesus. And so the first thing he says, there's this light that pushes back darkness. The second thing in verses 9 and 10, look, it says, there's a conquering love that releases the grip of hate within me. Like it goes to the inside. And so look at it in verse 9. It says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Like hates his brother, it's in the present tense. And so what that means is that I am presently exercising hateful actions and attitudes and thoughts toward my brother. I'm nursing it, I'm feeding it, I'm growing it. It's not something that happened in the past. It's something that I'm working on right now. Like, have, have you ever felt trapped by hate? I'm not talking about hate in this room. I'm talking about your hate. Have you ever felt trapped by, by your hate? And I know like you don't even have the courage to say hate. Like, you're going to say things like, no, 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 irritate, aggravate, annoy. You don't even have the courage to say, I'm angry. You're going to say, I'm frustrated, which is like junior varsity anger. (laughs) He is saying, like, whoever is present, presently holding on to hate, it's gripping their lives. They're exercising it in the present right now. Do you know what that looks like? See, interrelationally, what it looks like is I am keeping a list of wrongs and faults and shortcomings and failures, and I am linking them together like I would link a chain together. And I'm waiting for the opportune time to whip it out and to choke the life out of someone. It is present day activity. I take note and I remember And then as soon as something happens, I say, well, that's just what you do because you always fill in the blank. I smother them. He's saying this hate is something that comes out presently. It's in the present tense, so it's always happening. And listen, there is no relationship that's immune to it. This is not just like an acquaintance that, that annoys me. This enters into like friendship. This enters into siblings and mother, daughter, father, son. This enters into marriage. Where I'm keeping a present active list of all the failures. I'm I'm putting it through a grid that sees me as innocent and them as stupid. That chain gets longer and longer and its use gets more prevalent. Every single step. 
it seems like he's talking about not something I'm just presently hanging on to. It seems like he's talking about something that's gripping my soul. You know, I mean, that, that's not void of what we would have in the room. I mean, for some of us, I just described your marriage. A detailed list of the wrongs of others and some ambiguous, you know, I'm a Christian, so I know I sin. You know, some ambiguous murk of like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Detailed list there, murky here. Like, it makes a toxic relationship. Like, you're on the same trajectory of like, as Taylor Swift's songs, you know? I mean, you started off and you're like, man, today was a fairy tale and it's a love story. And then it morphs into bad blood and look what you made me do. And you just need to shake that off. I mean, you see what I did? I used all these songs. And so, I mean, like... But man, it just, it morphs and it morphs and the chain grows. And every day when you add to it, it gets bigger. And it's just this simple, whatever you feed will grow. It'll get bigger. Whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you feed will get stronger. And what you think is that you think it's some sort of pet on a leash. But that is not a pet on a leash. That is a tiger on a leash. And you may think that you can hold that tiger back from demolishing your kids and the people around you, but that that string has no ability to hold that beast back, and it has no ability to keep it from turning on you. He warns us about this gripping hate. He goes on in verse 10, he says the opposite, but he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so that's also in the present tense. And so both of these are expressed in the present tense. And that's giving us a discipline of how we can work with the grace of God that's in our life. That I can presently, actively, right now, I can make a choice. And whatever I do, like whatever I invest in, that's going to grow and it's become more of my character. I mean, it goes on to say, no cause of stumbling. C.S. Lewis, um, I reread in Four Loves his uh, last chapter on, on agape. I mean, I felt like I was reading for the first time, but I know I wasn't because I saw all my highlights. Um, but man, listen to how he describes this thing, like this compounding thing of growing to be more hateful or growing to be more loving. And so now he's writing, C.S. Lewis, he's writing in like the 40s, it's after World War II. And so he uses some examples that would have been, you know, present day examples. And so it says, the Christian... Trying to treat everyone kindly finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking in the beginning. Like this happens to me. Like I meet someone and I, I immediately, I'm like, my first response is like, oh man, I don't like that dude. You know, I mean, it just happens. And I have a list of why I don't like him. And then I hang out with him and I start to like him. And I have this moment of like, hey, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to like you but I do. And so, I mean, it, it happened. And so he's like, hey, listen, when you practice this loving kindness toward people, what happens is it starts to grow and you start to like people you never thought you could like them. But the same spiritual law works terribly in the opposite direction. And so he's going to use a contemporary example the Germans, perhaps at first, ill treated the Jews because they hated them. Afterwards, they hated them much more because they had ill-treated them. The more cruel you are, the more you will hate. And the more you hate, the more cruel you will become. And so in a vicious cycle forever, good and evil both increase at compounding interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day, present tense, the little decisions we make every day, the little decisions right now are of such infinite importance. What you exercise will grow. And we know this in other realms. Like when I see a guy and he's got like big muscles, I know he exercised them. I know he pushed against heavy things that pushed back. I know that he has spent time and he probably eats macros and he probably has a GNC account. And because he lives in Lawrence, he probably makes his own kombucha. I know that. (laughs) It's evident. What you exercise grows. When I see a marriage that is sweet 
and tender, I mean, and flirty, and it shows like this intimacy and this care for one another. I know that the same principles at work. I know that they exercise that in a lot of present day decisions. Like I'm talking about the, the, the flirty that makes your kids kind of roll their eyes, but yet it galvanizes certainty and security in their heart. Like, I'm talking about the kind of flirty that expresses itself from a daughter's mouth. Like, Dad, are you serious? But it also reveals every stolen line from a boys to men mixtape. That's not contextual for the audience. For uh, Bruno Mars, just the way you are. I do weddings. I know what's in. And so, I mean, I, you know, it, it saves them from those words because they know what real beauty and intimacy and love looks like kind of love that wrinkles faces early because of laugh lines, the kind of love that is never idle but can sit idle but can sit still. The kind of love that never fears the misrepresentation of the other because they know for one to be hurt hurts the other. The kind of love that grows exponentially at the daily deposits of loving actions. It works in both directions. And so he says, there's this love. It can push back darkness. You see darkness around your life. It says, there's this love. It can undo the grip of hate. Do you see hate gripping in your life? And if you don't take C.S. Lewis's word, just take the Bible's word. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is, this is the love chapter. You know, you, you use it at all weddings. And sometimes people are like, well, it's actually talking about love for the church. It is. But I tell you, you could apply this to every relationship that needs help. And it's going to get better. Friendship? Yes. Siblings? Relationship? Yes. Marriage? Yes. Annoying telemarker? Apply this. It's going to go better. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Like, let's just stop for a second, let that sink in. Like, we just got started. And I think if you applied those two things, like, what would be the patient thing right now? What would be the kind thing right now? It's going to go better. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all all things. Did you notice that all those are in the present tense also? You know, the promise is there's a conquering love that pushes darkness back. The promise is there's a love that can release you from the grip of hate in your life and it can be evidenced in the present tense actions of you just saying what would be the loving thing to do right now. It also tells us that there's a conquering love that brings understanding and clarity to your life. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, there's a problem with walking in the darkness as opposed to the light. Like, I don't want to be obvious, but when you walk in the darkness, you can't see things very clearly. You stumble on what you can't see, and the things that you can see are, are, are distorted and, and unclear. You don't have a good grasp of what they really, really are. Um, I, I laid down, my son Cruz, I lay down with him, and we, uh, we read, we just got done reading the Gospel Storybook Bible, and uh, I was like, what do we do next? And he said, let's watch more karate clips. I'm like, okay, but we have to do something else. I mean, <laughs> we just can't watch Bruce Lee uh, I mean, we do, and that's awesome. Um, and so I, I asked him, hey, you want to you wanna read the real Bible? And he's like, yeah. And so we, we just started reading Jonah, so we'll read a little bit and talk about it. Um, 
And, uh, and so we just read a little bit, and then we talk, and then he's done with it. And I'm like, well, let's pray, and we pray, and then he's done with that. And I'm like, you want to watch Bruce Lee? He's like, yeah. And so we, we moved to that. But like, when we were younger, he was scared of the dark. We would lie there, and so we installed a, a, a nightlight. And we didn't install just any nightlight. Uh, we installed like the outlet that has the lights in it. They come on automatically. We turn off the lights. It's Snap Power. Um, and if you are a sales rep, you can sponsor me. I love them. And so Snap Power. And so we installed it. And that helped, but it also caused another problem. Dim light in a dark room distorts everything that you see. I remember one time we were sitting there and we were looking up and he was like, hey, what is, and this was several years ago, what is that? And he was looking at the shadow that the dim light was putting upon the fan on the ceiling. It was distorted and it was terrifying. And I said, Cruz, that, that's just the that's, the, that's the shadow of the fan. And he wasn't convinced until I went over and I flipped the switch on and light flooded the room and made what it was clear. This is saying that there's a danger of hate because what hate does is it distorts the way you see things. D.A. Carson, he says this about this. He says, we do not first misjudge people and then hate them as a result. Our view of them is already jaundiced by our hatred. Are you sure you see clearly? The light of Jesus promises that it can help us see humanity rightly and that it can right the things in you and it can push back the darkness around you. This love has a power that enters in and pushes out. It makes things more clear. You know what happens sometimes in um, relationships when they get dark and hard is as you see things less clearly, you think you see them more clearly. And what's happening is you're exercising your perspective and your point of view over and over and over. And such a healthy thing to do is to get around another Christian who loves you enough to wound you to say, listen, I want you to see everything that's going on. Am I seeing this clearly or has darkness distorted it from my vision? This this light, this conquering love, it can push back darkness. It can ungrip hatred in my life. And it can help me see things rightly. That's the promise. There's also a problem, and we're going to jump through this pretty quick. But the problem is this, that there's a persisting darkness around me. And there's hate in me, and I can't really trust him. And so, like, it's actually worse than, than what we think. Like, it's not as simple as, like, light equals good and bad, you know, dark equals bad and love equals good and hate equals bad. Like, it's not that simple. That would be more than enough for us. But it's actually a little bit harder because it's telling us the same thing that my love for Taco Bell is saying. You can't trust your loves. Like, there's a distortion and a misplacement of your love. Like, you should love this. You should not love this. But what happens is we find ourselves loving this at the expense of that. He's saying that there should be a hermeneutic in our hearts that says, I can't trust that. Like, our loves can't be fully trusted. They can't, and you know it. They have led you wrong time and time again. They have showed little restraint and taken too much. They have showed little regard and they have used those who were foolish enough to open up their lives to you. They have proven to be unquenchable. Like look at verse 15. That's the main warning here. And so it says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anything, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, three things, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, like I just like a couple things just to highlight. It seems to say there's a way that our love can lead us wrong and there's a way that ends like short. It doesn't last. And there's a way that our love can be righted and put us into something that lasts forever. 
And it gives us three things that are coming against us. It's kind of like the trifecta of hell. Okay, three things. Um, if you took classical culture, you understand that. Um, three things. Verse 16, the desire of the flesh. The word translated desire, it means inordinate desire. It means lust. The NIV uses lust there. It, it, it's a life dominated by the senses, but it's never satisfied. It's a feeling that's inside, that's all-taking, but yet never filled kind of love. Uh, a love of self that feels and takes, but it's never content. It is gluttonous in food. It is drunk in drink. It is lustful in sex. And it is greedy in possessions. None of those are ever satisfied. And so this is saying, it's not just something outside of me. It says flesh. It's something inside of you. There is a love inside of you that is lustful and it's never satisfied. It never will have enough. It takes, it takes, it sees itself and others as opportunities to please itself. But that's not the only problem. Look in verse 16, it says, not just the desires of the flesh, it says the desires of the eyes. If the desire of the flesh is an all-consuming lust on the inside, the desire of the eyes is an unquenchable want for what you see. An unquenchable want for what you see. And probably more specifically, for what you see others have that you don't have. Like, let's not forget that people kill people when they see things that they have that they want. And this is saying they kill in obedience to this taking kind of love that is focused on what I can get, not what I can give. And I want you to hear that. They kill in obedience to a self-seeking love that is construed upon itself and yet never satisfied. It's not as simple as love and hate. It's not as simple as light and dark. It's not as simple as good and bad. There is a presence in me that loves wrongly and is dangerous. It goes on, so the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes. And then it says the pride of life. The pride of life is an arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. It's expressed in recognition, applause, status, and advantage. It boasts what it has and what it's accomplished. And it is unquenchable. It's a taking love that doesn't just want to shine it wants to outshine others. The pride of life. Now I hope as we describe that, you see some of that in you and around you. But now I just want to scare you. This is not new. You know, we have, the, we didn't really talk about it, but it talks about, you know, John said, hey, I'm giving you a new command, but it's actually an old command. It's a command from the beginning, but it's new in this way. And you're like, man, old man, what is it, new or old? And he's like, man, I'm so old, everything's new. You know, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's like new and it's old. You're like, what is this? This is not a new occurrence. This is an ancient evil that has plagued us from the beginning. We read about it in Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes, and that it was a delight to the eye, I'm sorry, lust of the flesh, and it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and it was to be desired to make one wise, pride of life in self-sufficiency. Does it scare you that most of your loves are gripped by an ancient evil? We don't, we, evil doesn't need to reinvent itself. It is really sufficient for what it does. And so when we look at this, the problem, like what am I to do? We just want to acknowledge it's not as simple as light versus dark or love versus hate. 
Like there is a love inside of me and about me that is turned upon myself. It's twisted to only satisfy its unquenchable thirst. And the question is, what hope is there? If there's darkness outside of me and hate gripping inside, and then even my loves are self-seeking and hurt others, like what is the hope? And Christian, there is much to hope. There is much to hope. And we are going to jump around. The solution is an entering in love. This entering in love has everything to do with your change in this life and your eternal destination in the life to come. It has everything to do with how can you be certain that you're standing in the light. Like know that you know, have a certainty that God is for you, that you are in the family of God and you can never be removed. And it's described as an entering in life. Look, look at verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, I'm just going to talk you through them. Like it's kind of confusing and commentaries love to kind of try to figure this out because you have like, it says, like what you have is you have children, fathers, young men. Children, fathers, young men. It talks about each of them twice. And so it says, children, you have this. Fathers, you're like this. Young men, you have this. And then it does it again. It kind of says the same thing, just in a different verb tense. And so commentaries wrestle with this where they're like, gosh, you know, are they trying to like break up the church? Like, well, you've got little kids and they have this and you have young, you know, adults and they have this and then you have old people and they have this. And, and, and that's possible. You know, I mean, we want to be a multi-generational church that expresses and shares the love of Christ differently, that presses against our preferences. So we learn how to lose things that are inessential. And so it could be that, you know, most people think it's probably more like this as talking about the maturity of your faith. You start off as a child of the faith and then you grow in strength of the scriptures and then you grow in absolute certainty. Like, I mean, if you, if you look at this, you, you see kind of what's happening. Like, like, just hear this. Like, just hear what it is saying about all Christians. And so look, it says, children, your sins are forgiven. You see that in verse 12? Because you know God. Like, it it says this. It says, when you say yes to Jesus, you're in. You're a child of God with all of its benefits. There is no waiting period for a background check. And there is no probation to see if you really mean it. Because you would fail both of those. When you say yes to Jesus, children, you're in. Or, or, or young men, it says, you can overcome Satan because the word of God is strong in you. Like, just think about what that means. As part of the family of God, I can overcome evil in my life and around my life because the word of God is sufficient for me. All the promises are right here. Or, fathers, you have and can give stability because this is what is and what always was from the beginning. It is a certainty that you can bring in the room when you've been walking with the Lord, not to freak out on the little stuff, but to know that the love of God abides and moves forward and it will push back darkness and it will accomplish what it set out to do in the lives of believers. A certainty. This is all available. You know, uh, there's there's a verb. You know, in verses 12... Um, in 13, it uses present tense. And so in the ESV, it changes it to participle to make it easier to write, where it says, I'm writing. And then in verse 14, when it goes through, you know, children, fathers, young men again, it uses a past tense, an aorist verb, which, you know, the past tense, you know, the ESV kind of cleans it up to say, goes from writing to then a present tense to say, I write. And no one really knows what to do it. So it basically says, hey, I'm telling you and I told you, which actually, I talk like that to my kids. I mean, I don't know why that's a big deal. I'm like, hey, I'm telling you because I told you to shut the door. You know, I'm using all the things I said I wouldn't say, like, I don't want to air condition the neighborhood. You know, I'm, I'm doing that. What do you think, I'm made of money? You know, I got shoes older than you. I mean, I'm doing that. I didn't want to, but I'm doing it. And so it's, I'm telling you because I told you. And so I'm like, this, this is no problem for me. Um, but it's a problem for other people. So here we go. Those are the promises of what are ours. Verse 8. This entering love. I just want you to hear this. In verse 8 where it says, which is true in him, in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
This is saying God lit the blaze of his eternal life-changing love for all to see in the person of Jesus. And this love was in Jesus because it is Jesus. This changing love was demonstrated by Jesus in every turn of his life. Like, think about it. Jesus is this entering in love into humanity. Think about how he treated Zacchaeus, like Luke 19. Everyone loved to hate Zacchaeus because he had turned on his people to collect taxes for the occupying nation. Everyone loved to hate him. He was easy to love. But what does he do? Hey, I want to eat in your house. He entered into Zacchaeus' house. And by the time he entered into Zacchaeus' house, he entered into Zacchaeus' life. And at the end of Luke 19, Zacchaeus is saying, I'll repay back everyone that I screwed over. Everyone. Love entered in and changed. Or, or, or think about the woman at the well. John 4. This woman who um, had a sordid past. This woman who feared the gaze of others because everyone wanted to pass her over and whisper as she walked by. But she shows up at the well. And, and what does Jesus do? Jesus enters into conversation with her. And the woman with a sordid past, by the end of him entering into the conversation, she becomes an evangelist for the city. She was changed because Jesus entered in. Or think about it. The thief at the cross. Jesus, in Luke 23, is being crucified. He's dying. And one thief on one side starts to mock him. And the other one speaks up and says, just shut up. He doesn't deserve this. We deserve this. And he just says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember this overlapping kingdom. Jesus is the turn of the page to the new kingdom, the age to come. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I just want to say it because it's more obvious here than ever. No waiting period. No waiting period or we're going to have to try to figure out the background check to see if you deserve it because he certainly would have failed. No probation. Let's see if you really mean it to walk this out. When he said yes to Jesus, he said yes to eternity. Jesus' love entered in. So the first, like he's talking about this entering in love that changes everything. It says it again, like, look at verse 12. This is how it works. In verse 12, it says, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Like, for his namesake means that it's because of his worth and his value. It's not because of your worth and your value. When you turn to Jesus and you let his love enter in, it is because of his name, his character, what he did. And it's also in the perfect tense, which means the past tense, which means it happened then and it continues on now and it will continue. His character, his name, his status in the kingdom of God is more than enough to secure your place. It says your sins are forgiven because of his namesake. That's how it works. You have been and will remain forgiven, perfect tense, because of the name and value of Jesus. No probation, no waiting period. The entering love of Jesus comes in and changes everything. And just to show it even a little bit more plainly, it's, it's redundant, but look at verse 15. Now verse 15, it says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so he's talking about that gripping hate or that perverse love. And so he's saying they're incompatible, like light pushes darkness out. But we could take that from the opposite direction. And it could say, if the love of the Father is in him, the grip of darkness and hate in your life will be loosed and the darkness around your life will be pushed back. Verse 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verses 7 through 11 were intended to be a diagnostic test to see if love is growing. 
verses 15 through 17 is another diagnostic test to see if there's a certain type of love that's dying. And if that can encourage us. Hate is the evidence of blindness to the light of God and love is the evidence that your blindness has been healed. This is the miracle of salvation. This is the true light that is already shining. This is the fountain of love in every believer. Are you in the light? Do you see Jesus as the light? Have you let Jesus, his entering and changing love in? If you have, we invite you to come take communion to celebrate how we get in the kingdom. I want to pray for us. And then as we're still, just talk to us. And so let me pray for us. Jesus, you haven't left us to blind faith. Jesus, you haven't orphaned us or left us alone in this world. Jesus, you invite us to come to the table regularly that we might be assured and we might have confidence that you are working in us. And Lord, we bring everything that we have and that means we bring both our right love and we bring our perverse love and we ask you to help us grow our right love. When the Bible talks about communion, it talks about um, looking back at what Jesus has done and looking forward to the coming kingdom when Jesus is finally here. And we live in between that where we have the darkness passing away and we have the light infiltrating and it comes in, it's pushing back the darkness and it's unhooking the hatred in our life. Like this is the promise. And think about it like this, just like if you're struggling against anything, you grow tired and you grow weak and you need to eat, and to grow in strength. That's what this meal represents. I'm weary and I need help. And so I come in and maybe I come in with a limp and I come in with some brokenness and some hurt, but I come to find strength that the love of Jesus is certain because he died on the cross and rose again. And so we get to bring all that to the table looking for hope and for strength. If you're a Christian, we invite you to the table. If you're not a Christian, we ask you to respect this and just look up on the screen and ask yourself, what do I think about Jesus? There'll be some verses and some questions and some prayers on the screen to help you. If you're a weary Christian and there's a place where darkness is really gripping your life or there's a relationship that you really need help, like we invite you to just stay where you are and ask someone to pray for you or to move to the back. We have people with lanyards. They're part of a prayer team and they want to pray for you. Like just as we prayed for this school, we need to pray for one another. There's all those different motions and whatever one fits you best, we ask you to do it in courage. Father Jesus, we need you, Jesus. Lord, we ask for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.